we go on another week of the Talkin' Audio Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back inside the, uh, the TCA studio. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for checking this one out. You may have noticed uh, we're a day late. Actually, uh, a day late and a co-host short, I guess, is the uh, the expression we'll be going with. We'll get into some of that here in a couple of minutes. Appreciate you checking this one out. We are on social media at Talkin' Audio. Hope you'll follow along there. And uh, those of you who do, whether it be on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you might be, uh, you found out already why there wasn't a Monday morning show this week. We did try our best to keep you uh, informed, but uh, of course, no Monday morning show. Uh, I spent Sunday down in Oshawa, and uh, for those of you longtime listeners know, that's my hometown. That's where I grew up, so lots of friends and family still around down there. And I uh, was invited out to uh, a birthday party for uh, a pretty cool little guy, turned one year old, and um, man, pretty big deal. They had rented out a hall. It was like 60, 70 people there. Uh, I'm pretty sure didn't do that for my first birthday party. Maybe just didn't have as many people who wanted to to come as this little guy did. Uh, so that was a lot of fun and uh, got to catch up with some old friends down there and and be a part of that. Um, I do think I, I did a birthday at Chuck E. Cheese once. Maybe I had six or eight kids at that one. So that was kind of cool. Um, just had a, a 40th birthday party over at the Need a Beer Company back in June. For myself, and uh, I can tell you 60 or 70 people did not make it to that. So that was really cool. And then since I was down there anyway, I went back over to the Oshawa Generals game. And uh, they were taking on the North Bay Battalion. Didn't go particularly well as uh, as they kind of got their clock cleaned. Um, But that was fun. And honestly, that's the first, I don't know how you'd categorize it. I guess you'd say first indoor sporting event I've been to since the pandemic. Um, And the last one was also down at Tribute Community Center in uh, in Oshawa. Went to the Gens game late February 2020 uh, with my cousin Brandon, and uh, we checked that out. Had a couple of, uh, we were reliving this when we were talking, because uh, I went to this game with him as well. Um, after that, went to one of my favorite old bars when I was in Oshawa, and it's just, you know, kind of a nothing pub. There's nothing really special about it other than it was close to home and always liked it and my dad had gone there. My grandfather had gone there. So I came by it honestly. It was called the Waltzing Weasel. So we went to that 6 o'clock game in uh, in Oshawa back in February of 2020. And then since I hadn't been to town very often, we stopped at the Weasel on the way back uh, up north towards my cousin's place. And uh, had a beer and, uh, you know, a little dinner. But the problem was I was not the driver, of course. My cousin was doing the driver, so I'd had a beer or two more than he had while we were at the hockey game. And then we stopped at the Waltzing Weasel. I had probably another beer or two more than he did there. And then on the drive home, we were driving through this blizzard, so it was slow going the whole way. It was snowing like hell. About an hour drive, we were headed up north towards Lindsay. And he, because of the weather, I guess, or just likes it a little warmer than I do, he had the heat cranked in his truck and so I'm like six eight beers deep and the heat's just cranked and we're going slow and it's getting late it was all I could do (laughs) to stay awake that was uh just head bobbing all the way back up Simcoe Street towards Lindsay and uh and uh, doing my best to stay awake and be a good uh be a good passenger but uh, he didn't make it too easy no such problems for this one uh, we took her easy, but it was a fun night checking out the Jennies and like I said, this birthday party. Um, and that obviously left me out of studio. Rob wasn't around either. So it's not like even had I, uh, hung around town, we would have had him in studio, but normally we'd have got something else going for you for Monday morning, but that's what kept me busy on Sunday. And so, uh, yeah, we didn't, uh, 
didn't get the show out, and that's unusual. Normally, we like to be there on Monday morning, as you guys know, so we do apologize for that. But the rest of the week, it's going to be pretty busy around here. I'm pretty excited about that. We got some really good guests going here, uh, coming up here. I'll get into that in uh, in just a second. Uh, first, I should say, we're sipping on a, a beer here um, that uh, my parents had uh, had brought for me at Thanksgiving. Uh, this is from the Bob Cajun Brewing Company, and it is the uh, what, pumpkin spice latte. And so, you know, it's fall. This is These beers start to roll out, and... I'm sort of hit and miss on them. I don't mind them. I know some people just straight up object to anything pumpkin spice. I know some people uh, lose their goddamn mind and, and go crazy for anything uh, pumpkin spice. I'm sort of in the middle. If you make it well, if it's a good beer, I'm into it. If not, that's fine too. And so I've had a couple of these here uh, since Thanksgiving, and this one is it's treating me pretty nicely today. Um, I mentioned we got some great guests coming up this week. One of them will absolutely not join me in a pumpkin spice latte ale. And that's our pal, Michaela Schreider, who has said to me numerous times and said it quite confidently that she thinks pumpkin spice beers taste like candle. And she says it with conviction. And so I I do feel like when she's in here, I'm going to have to ask her how she's so confident in what a candle tastes like, how she knows what that's all about. Uh, Maybe... Maybe got into something she shouldn't have as a kid, or, or I don't know. We'll, we'll ask Shrides about that. She's going to be in studio uh, on Tuesday afternoon. So we'll probably drop that episode for you on Wednesday morning. You can look for Shrides to be on the podcast. And then later in the week, on Thursday afternoon, our buddy Steve Bunda is going to be back in here. And uh, we've got some beers to give him. Um, if you recall, a few weeks back, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, our friend Angela Thompson from the Lake of Bays Brewing Company was in had some new beers for us to try, and uh, she left a couple behind when she that were specifically for Steve Bunda, and uh, we're going to pay that off here. He had mentioned on the show he likes their stuff and, uh, and had enjoyed Angela's appearance on the podcast, and so she was uh, nice enough to bring him a couple of beers. So when he comes in, we'll give those to him. We'll see if that's what he's going to try on the, uh, the podcast. Uh, we'll get into whatever's in the news that day, sporting-wise, but we will touch on this weekend's UFC 294 card. It is absolutely stacked. And honestly, there's been a couple of injuries and guys have to pull out that have actually made this card better. Um, The fights that they have replaced the original fights with are going to be incredible. So you're going to see this weekend, you're going to see Alex Volkanovsky, you're going to see Hamza Chimeyev, you're going to see Islam Makachev, um, you're going to see Kamaru Usman. This is going to be terrific. And Bunda is going to be into that. And there there are rumors... Sources say, you know, that there are rumblings, people are hearing things, that Graham Creech may also join us. If you've been around the podcast for a while, you know that uh, we used to have, especially through the pandemic, when everyone was sort of stuck at home anyway, we would do a lot of shows uh, remotely with both Creech and Bunda talking fights, and we were doing that pretty often. Uh, As everybody's schedule opened back up, um, you know, and, and you were back to work and schedules were a little bit different, it's been hard to get Creech in here. I think he's going to make it. I'm not promising it yet. He's got to see what the big boss has in mind for him, right? He might have to be down at Sen's practice or something while we're uh, while we're recording. But he's going to try and make it in for that as well. But if not, uh, it'll still be Bunda for sure. And uh, we're pulling him away from his uh, annual, well, I don't know, he goes like month, six weeks of watching a horror movie every <laughs> uh, every night leading up to, up to Halloween. So we're pulling him away from that, but uh, that'll be fun as well. So it's going to be a good week coming up around here. And again rumblings sources say people are hearing 
Lever Sage will also be back here in the next couple of days. So lots of great stuff coming up. I hope you guys will stick around and and uh, join us for all of that. Uh, why don't we start with something that uh, that I've been corrected on many times now since uh, we released our or, or I released uh, the last solo show on Thursday. Uh, many times you guys have corrected me many. Many times, couple mistakes. The first small one, and you knew what I meant, but fair enough. I said Justin Verlander and all that talk about the uh, the swearing on Fox TV um, was the Texas Rangers. Obviously, Justin Verlander plays for the Houston Astros, and that's who this controversy was over. But uh, that wasn't the main thing that you people came at me over, and uh, fair enough. Uh, I mentioned when I was talking about that, right, about Fox being in the locker room after... Houston had won the game and all the swearing that was going on during the party and, you know, people were ripping Fox and Fox was upset about how much swearing there was. And I just kind of said, get over it. You know, if you're going to be there at the party, then this is what's going to happen and either put it on delay or give yourself time to edit it or just don't be in there. But you don't get to complain about these guys swearing on national television during their celebration. You don't need to be in there live. That's a choice that the network made, and so screw them. And during my comments about that, I referenced Kevin Gosman's tweet, where he said that it was ridiculous that players needed to watch what they said in their own clubhouse. And I mistakenly attributed that to this Houston Astros story. But uh, something else had happened the night before that just wasn't as much on my radar. And it turns out that was what Kevin Gosman was referring to. Now, everything I said, all the rest of that noise still happened around the Houston Astros and Fox TV and all the swearing and everything. So I still stand by everything I said on that. But the Kevin Gosman tweet was in reference to something that had happened in the Phillies and Atlanta Braves series. And that, of course, most of you, if you've been following this story at all and Obviously, enough of you have, since many of you took the time to send me your comments about how wrong I was. (laughs) Um, uh, This is the story of the end of, I believe it was game two, where Atlanta beats Philadelphia, and it's uh, it's with Bryce Harper getting doubled off to end the game. And so while Atlanta is celebrating in their clubhouse after that game, one of their players, Orlando Arcia, can be heard on multiple tapes that uh, reporters had had while they were in there, you know, doing interviews and all the usual post-game work. Uh, And he's going, attaboy, Harper, attaboy, Harper, like making fun of him. Thanks for giving us that last out. You know, thanks for fucking up, basically. Now, we have seen how the rest of that series played out. Bryce Harper comes out in the next game, clubs two massive home runs, and uh, Atlanta collapses. Philadelphia comes back and and wins the whole series. But that's not the point. Um... I just want to correct myself and that that Kevin Gosman was tweeting about that having gotten out of the Atlanta clubhouse, that reporters came out and talked about the fact that Orlando Arcio was saying this. And the Braves themselves and some reporters and some fans, like there's sort of a split opinion on this, that Arcio wasn't being interviewed in that moment. He was celebrating and the media was allowed in there. And so... This was seen and taken out and reported on. And his opinion and and some other people's opinion was that that wasn't cool because you weren't talking to me. This wasn't an interview. I wasn't on the record. Reporters and journalists will tell you that unless you explicitly say we're off the record and the reporter themselves agrees to those terms, nothing is off the record. They are in the locker room and they are reporting on what they are seeing 
And so if you're going to be jumping around and yelling like that while there's cameras and recorders and microphones and reporters all in the clubhouse, it's fair game for me to report on that. And so it's a bit of a sticky wicket, right? And you could, I guess, call me a bit of a hypocrite because I think there's some validity to that. I just finished saying about the Houston thing with swearing on TV. You don't have to let them in the clubhouse for your party. And if you do, then they get to swear. If you're going to go in there and like cover this, then you, you're going to see what you're going to see. It's going to be beer spraying all over the place and champagne and wine and whatever else while guys are jumping up and down and partying and swearing and God knows what else is going on. And it is their clubhouse. They get to do that. That's a celebration, right? That's a party. It feels different to me than something that is going to happen after every game when you know reporters are coming in and they are still getting their interviews here. It's not really the party because you haven't clinched the series. You're not moving on in this instance. You know these people are coming in to to get their comments. And so if they see you yelling something, maybe it is fair game. I don't know. I do have some sympathy for the players But maybe you just save that for when the reporters aren't around. If you don't want to be filmed or recorded saying something, don't say that thing while there's lots of cameras and microphones around. I mean, there's logic to that. I certainly understand. And now there are certain people who are saying that this was the thing that motivated Philadelphia and certainly Bryce Harper. And if you want to tell that story, there's lots of evidence to back it up. As I said, the next day he clubs two home runs and the Phillies come back and win the whole series. But... If that's all it took for Atlanta to collapse, was this story getting out and now they're sort of blaming these reporters? That's a little thin. Play better, right? (laughs) Like, to some degree, this is on you. Yeah, I'm sure you would have preferred that not gotten out. Um, And in the future, I'm sure you'll be more careful around different reporters and stuff. But this isn't why they lost the series. They started playing poorly. And maybe you did motivate Bryce Harper, but I don't know that that's the way these things work, right? Is it just that simple that Bryce Harper didn't care, even though he was in the second round of the playoffs, and now all of a sudden he did care because he had been personally mocked? I I don't know. You'd kind of want Bryce Harper to be trying no matter what, wouldn't you? I don't know, maybe went into some I'm offended super beast mode or whatever, but... This goes towards the battle that's been going on for a while. There are lots of people who say that that journalists shouldn't be allowed in the locker room. There are lots of other leagues around the world that think it's ridiculous over here that they are in the locker room. And there's plenty of good stories that have been reported on because of it. And that is how journalists get to know athletes and develop sources and things like that. There's, there's arguments for having them in there. But there are huge soccer leagues in Europe certainly at the Olympics and things like that, you don't get to just walk into their locker room. You wait for them to come out, either into like the mix zone where anybody can talk to them or to a press conference or whatever it might be. You and I listening and talking here today won't solve that debate, but there is an argument for it and there is an argument against it. And um, that's what Kevin Gosman was so fired up about. He thinks it's stupid that he has to watch his back in his own locker room. If you're interviewing me, yeah, I'm on the record. You get to say, report whatever I've said to you. But if you just happen to be in the room and watch me say something to somebody else, that shouldn't be on the record. And I don't think that's crazy either, but maybe you just don't say it while you know that there are a hundred microphones in the room with you. 
sometimes it's just common sense, right? So I thought we would uh, touch on that just briefly because, uh, like I said, the other story, I, I, I had it right with Houston Astros and Justin Verlander and Fox and all that bullshit, but I had improperly attributed Kevin Gosman's tweet. I thought he was talking about that story when this other thing was happening over in the National League that I didn't have my uh, have quite as good of an eye on, and that's what the one that he was referring to. So we've cleared that up. I thought maybe we'd talk for a minute or two about the Sens home opener and just the opening ceremony mainly I thought was interesting. And, you know, results aside, we're not going to get into the two games against uh, against Philadelphia and against Tampa and how everything went down there. You've seen all that. You know all that. I did want to just comment on the, the opening ceremony on Saturday afternoon's game, which I thought was overwhelmingly positive. Now, there's always a bit of a, a hazard for these teams when they're coming up. Some people saw, you know, Anton Forsberg, who's coming off double knee surgery, uh, just about kill himself on a microphone cable that was laying across the ice. And had he blown a groin or a knee or something out on that, uh, would have been a pretty inauspicious start to the new Michael Andlauer era of the Ottawa Senators. Luckily, everybody's okay. Nothing, uh, nothing too bad to happen there. But there wasn't much that they could have done a whole lot better. This was really well done. You got Daniel Alfredson there, who late last week... We saw take the ice in sort of a coaching role, and there had been all sorts of talk that once Ann Lauer took over and the new management was in place, that Daniel Alfredson would come in and would be a part of this, but we didn't know exactly what the title would be. We still don't, I guess, other than the fact he will be working in player development and sort of between player development and, and, and coaching. Uh, so you're going to see him around a lot in, in those sorts of areas. So he's back, and they include him in the opening ceremony Um, you know, they celebrate Claude Giroux getting to a thousand points at the end of last season. Uh, Alfie's there to be a part of, of that and getting him the silver stick with uh, Giroux's family, which was a pretty cool moment. Um, you know, they have Lyndon Sluage come back and do the uh, national anthem, who is, you know, incredibly popular, a legend, sang the anthems for a very long time for the senators. And so that was a nice touch. I don't know if that's going to be a new regular thing, if he's going to be back more often, or if this was a one-off for the home opener and kind of something special for the fans who were there. I'm not sure yet how that's all going to play out, but uh, very nice touch to have him there. When they do the ceremonial puck drop, they bring out Michael Landlauer, and he's announced as the guy who's going to do it, but they sort of have the history of the ownership there, previous owners of the team, um, kind of painting this, what would you call it, lineage, I guess, and some of these owners were more successful than others, but to kind of paint the picture that this thing is in good hands now and is stable, but still honoring those people who have come before and, and kept the franchise in Ottawa or brought the franchise to Ottawa, whatever it might be. So that was an interesting touch as well. And just overwhelmingly positive. And this this group hasn't missed much, right? And when I say that, we talked when they unveiled Michael Landlauer a few weeks ago, that that press conference couldn't have gone much better. The way he introduced himself, the way he reached out to Gatineau, the way he commented on uh, the possibility of a new arena without making any crazy grandiose promises. It seemed like he was being honest with the fan base. Um, As I said, sort of speaking fluent French, just everything about it had gone really well. They don't wait very long. They go out and bring in Steve Steos to be uh, the new president of hockey operations. Everyone... uh, We'll see how that goes. So far, it's fine, but he hasn't really had time to do much. This is a guy who we all know is very close with Michael Andlauer, and Michael Andlauer wanted to bring in.
but he's never served at this level before. President of a National Hockey League organization. He's worked in NHL front offices before. He's worked in junior hockey before at a high level. He's never had to do this before. So we can't yet just assume he's going to be a perfect fit. But the job of bringing him in and installing him and letting him answer questions, I mean, that all went very smoothly. And now this opening ceremony went very smoothly as well, I thought. And so it was a nice job. But the one little, um, I wouldn't even call it an issue. That's too strong. And I guess it depends who you are. The thing I thought was interesting was a couple different times throughout the game was the crowd trying to get that we want Pinto chant going, right? At the time, he's he's still unsigned, and they don't know when he's going to be back, and they got to make a trade to clear cap space for him. And I don't get me wrong, as far as the fan base goes, I thought it was awesome. They should be demanding that. It's stupid that they haven't gotten this done yet, that Pierre Dorian has boxed himself in on this and hasn't been able to get out of it. The fans have every single right to, to, to say, and I don't think it was done in anger, it was a bit of a party vibe going on around the Canadian Tire Center on Saturday afternoon. The great opening ceremony, the Sens are winning and running the Flyers out of town. You know, it it was a fun vibe. So I don't think this was like a demanding, angry, hey, we want Pinto. It's, this is awesome. We love this. And we know we got a big piece still coming. Get it done. We want this guy here now. And frankly, not an unreasonable request. And they should want him here based on you know, the center depth issues they were having with the Norris injury and, uh, and of course, Pinto not being there. So largely fine. Thought it was cool of the fans um, to be that engaged and, and say, yeah, we love what we've got here, but we want that other piece here right now. Thought that was cool. But maybe not everybody was loving it. Maybe there was a couple of people in the building who didn't think it was quite as fun, those, uh, those we want Pinto chants. And the first one might be Pierre Dorian, who no doubt also wants Shane Pinto. We don't know at this point exactly where those negotiations are at. It doesn't seem like there's a deal in mind and we're just waiting for the trade. Um, It does seem like they're still sort of working on those negotiations. And, um, you know, we'll see what all of that looks like and how that's going to play out. But that's an uncomfortable moment for Pierre Dorian. 20,000 people all chanting, all excited, all telling you, we want Pinto. And the players on the team want Shane Pinto, or at least most of them do. Uh, The fans want Shane Pinto. And Pierre Dorian, with his boss, or frankly, two new bosses in the building. I don't know if they were in the box with them at any of the time that these chants were going up uh, throughout the weekend, but there's not a hole big enough for Pierre Dorian to crawl into if Steve Steos... And Michael Landlauer are standing over his shoulder, standing behind him going, you know, we kind of want Shane Pinto too. You going to take care of that? You going to do anything about that? Because, you know, this has been carrying on for a while. We wouldn't mind having our, what would right now be our number two center, uh, Shane Pinto here. Of course, when Josh Norris gets back in the lineup, he will be the number three center. But I got to imagine that's a fairly uncomfortable moment for Pierre Dorian to see 20,000 people essentially, you know, they're chanting, we want Pinto, but they're really saying, do your job, do your job. So probably a rather uncomfortable moment with the new boss in the house. Uh, Everything's going great. Everyone's excited. Everyone's having a great day, except maybe Pierre Dorian and maybe one or two guys on the bench. Eric Brandstrom, Matthew Joseph, 
you know, uh, Dominic Kubalik, maybe they're kind of looking over their shoulders at the crowds, kind of go, guys, shut up. If they bring in Pinto, one of us is probably the ones out the door. We're having fun here too. We'd like to stay. So they get it. It's a business. They know that, that Shane Pinto is going to be brought in here eventually and someone's going to have to be moved out, but maybe two or three guys on the bench going, hey, 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 shut up. I'm doing my best here. We're trying our best too. I don't want to be the guy out the door, but overall, uh, a pretty fun weekend. Look, I've seen um, already some members of the local media trying to shift what they had said or change their minds or whatever, and it's just too soon. Uh, the big one being on Vladimir Tarasenko. And we're three games in, and after game one, and a little bit still after game two, there are people jumping up and down saying, he's washed, he's spent, he can't do it anymore. And then all of a sudden, after that Sunday game against Tampa, this guy's a killer, still got the hands, still got everything. Just settle down. We're three games in. If you thought bringing Vladimir Tarasenko in here was a good idea when they did it back over the summer, that was a perfectly valid opinion, and it's too soon for you to change your mind now and say that after three games, uh, the guy's washed, we shouldn't have done that, try and get rid of him. If you thought back in the summer that bringing him in here was a bad idea and you were going to tie up salary space um, in a guy that just doesn't appear to have it anymore, that opinion was totally valid in the summer too. But now after three games, you're saying, look at this killer. He's going to be fantastic for us. It Again, it's too early. It's three games. Some guys pop off and, and have a great weekend. Like I said, whatever you thought of it, you should probably still think of it now. We haven't seen enough to say that this guy's going to be a bust or that this guy's going to be a killer. Let's all just pump the brakes and stop playing the, what was it, the old bobbleheads where you just go back and forth and... You know, Whatever happened tonight is is the real thing. That's the thing that's going to happen all year. Chill. Chill. I wanted to touch a little bit on something that Elliot Friedman said on his 32 Thoughts segment on uh, the first Hockey Night in Canada of the year back on Saturday night. And it's just some rumblings here, I guess, that he's hearing about possible changes to the NHL draft. And I guess the idea would be to make this look a little more like the NFL draft. Most of your prospects would be in the house, like in the building that you're having this thing, but the teams might still be back in their cities and you know, you wouldn't do the big walk up on stage, meet the GM, get the Jersey, all of this stuff. It would look a little more like the NBA or the NFL uh, drafts. And look, nothing's been confirmed yet, but apparently this stems from last year, how tight the draft was to the opening of free agency. And I don't remember the exact details if it was weather related, but everybody trying to get home from the draft um, was having trouble. They, the, a lot of flights had been canceled and they had to get back, right? They were going to go back and, and negotiate these contracts because they don't wait till July 1st. Obviously, this gets done over the phone in the days leading up. And so there's sort of been this push of like, hey, why are we rushing around so close to free agency and having to take all our scouts, all our staff, um, to wherever the draft's going to be and then race home and try and do free agency and all this sort of stuff. And it, look, there's some logic to that, but there's no reason you have to be married to July 1st as free agency day. Like if you're going to let the the Stanley Cup finals run into mid-June um, and then you want to give it a week, maybe two, now you're kind of the 23rd, 25th, 27th, something like that for the draft. I don't know, maybe July 5th becomes free agency day. There are people who have long since complained 
that doing it on a you know on Canada Day, while it's become tradition and what we're used to, isn't really cool either um, to have free agency happen on that Canadian holiday. The counter argument, of course, becomes that you're stretching further into the summer before everybody gets to disappear off to you know their cottages, their vacations, whatever they're doing. Uh, but my first thought on this is. And maybe it's just because I'm someone who doesn't like change, but just hear me out on this. Because I don't think this is just crapping on it for the sake of crapping on it. One of the two things that sports fans, that hockey fans especially, jump up and down and say, look at me, look at me, love my sport about, are the way the trophy is presented and the draft. We hear every June two sets of tweets that just start going crazy. One is, thank God the NHL gives the trophy directly to the players and not to the owner, not to management. This is the way it should be. They're the ones who won it. I tend to agree with that, but I'm sort of sick of the argument every June. The other one, of course, is um, the second set of tweets when this happens. I mean, are the people who immediately crap on those tweets saying, we know, we get it. We've heard it every year. Your, your sport is the best, whatever it might be. But the second thing that hockey can pound its chest about that maybe they do better than these other sports has always been the draft. It's done in a big 20,000-seat arena. You can sell tickets to fans. You have plenty of room for families to come. You have all your, at least your first-rounders, and lots of guys who know they're not going to go until later come as well, and they can bring their families and, and go with whatever on Saturday. But you have this big presentation on the Friday night that looks really well done and, frankly, for my money, looks better than the way some of the other sports do their drafts. And this sort of ends my um, area of complimenting the NHL. This is one of very few things they do well. And so now, of course, that's the thing you're looking at not doing anymore. One of the things everyone universally praises and say, hey, you do a great job at that is the thing you're going to change because that's just sort of the way the NHL goes. Um, and it's not to say they can't be better with the draft. It does take too long that first round. But there's so much dead space in between, right? The guy walks up and he gets his jersey and he's going to go to an interview here and then he's going to go be on Sportsnet over here. And it takes like another five, eight, ten minutes before they make the next pick. You could go ahead and be doing that. You could trim that first round up, make it more watchable. It doesn't have to be a four and a half hour show. So I'm not saying they can't fix it. But I am saying I don't think this is one of those things that you go back to the drawing board on. You do it pretty well. People like the way this runs. They like to have the kid walk up on stage. Uh, he gets the jersey. Um, we could maybe ditch the, I want to say thank you to so-and-so for hosting. We want to say hey to so-and-so back at the pub in our official watch party. All of that can go. We can tighten this up a bit. But that doesn't mean you just go, well, the NFL and the NBA do it this way and we don't want to travel, so fuck it. We're throwing away our very successful draft uh, format to go to something else. I don't think that's necessary. Uh, Friedman seems to think that not only has this idea been floated, but that it is gaining traction. And so it's entirely possible, maybe not this year, but that we do start to see this in the future. But I honestly, I think it would be a mistake. The NHL does their draft pretty well. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Just sort of just sort of reel it in, get it under control, and stick with what you do well. But if all these guys have just decided, yeah, I don't feel like flying the week before free agency out to here, and we're bringing all our scouts, and we're bringing all our people and our PR, all of it, 
then ultimately that's what's going to win the day. But I think it would be uh, a mistake. Uh, the Leafs, before we get out of here, I I don't even really want to get into it. All the storylines around the Leafs thus far are stupid. <laughs> I, just, I just don't even want to be bothered. I see your questions, though. I see your uh, your comments looking for, for me to react. And honestly, the team's just not playing very good. But if you want to talk about the two things that, that everybody's been talking about the most, uh, I guess the first one is the goal song. And you guys know how I feel about this. It's been way overplayed. I thought uh, that the thing with Hall & Oates was fine. Not necessarily great, but I liked that it was different. It wasn't the same old 1998 jock jams bullshit that half the league is doing. Um, and so I, I I just, I don't know how bad I really want to get into it again. I think it's been way overplayed. They started out with um, last Wednesday. Everyone was talking about, well, first of all, and I've done this a hundred times, but everybody freaked out in the preseason. They haven't changed it again. They didn't change the goal song again. They were never, even if they were changing the goal song, they were never going to show it to you in the preseason. Everything gets unveiled on opening night. I don't know how many times we have to go over this. Uh, so on opening night, we find out we are getting a new goal song, but uh, there's going to be multiple new goal songs. There's going to be uh, a regular goal song, and then there's going to be an original six goal song for the nights where you're playing those guys and then there's going to be a throwback Thursday night uh, for any home games on Thursdays goal song for that and so like nobody knows even what's happening on opening night because you're playing an original six team so is this going to be the new one the regular one the original six one like what are we doing then they play pursuit of happiness and everyone gives their opinions and it's whatever and then a couple days go by and they're like Ah, we're throwing it out. We're not using it because at some point there's a lyric in the song that references driving drunk. And even that got misunderstood. Like people are jumping. How can you glorify driving drunk? And if you took even a cursory look at the lyrics to the song, this is this guy's nightmare. He knows driving drunk is the problem, but nuance, not a strong point. So they throw that away and we're not going to use that anymore. So Saturday, they go out and they throw down a different goal song. I don't even know what the hell that one was. I didn't care enough to go and look it up. And then on Monday night here, they play Chicago. That's an original six game. So I guess now we're going to learn what the original six goal song is. And it turns out to be freaking Panama. I, I don't know. So honestly, um, it's funny to me that people like Friedman on the Hockey Night in Canada panel kind of point and laugh at the fan base and say that this is what everybody's talking about. This has been talked about on three of the last four 32 Thoughts podcasts, perhaps the biggest hockey podcast in the world right now, and then on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday and in the preseason and on the actual opening night on Wednesday. Maybe, maybe the national rights holder has turned this into a bigger thing than it ever was. It was a debate. Don't get me wrong. This was a thing on Leafs Twitter, but it's been elevated by Sportsnet. And then Sportsnet thinks they get to turn around and, and point at you for making a big deal out of it while they make it like the biggest story of the preseason and the opening night. It's a mess. I'm not going to do this all the time. You guys know what I think of the argument and, and how it's been blown way overboard. I'm not saying I'll never talk about it again. I'm saying that's all I got for you tonight. This has been bungled by the Leafs, bungled by Sportsnet. 
uh, bungled by us as a fan base, and I'm just tired of hearing about it. The second biggest thing uh, we're talking about is Ryan Reeves. On Saturday night, the Leafs get their second win. They go 2-0, and and all the giant minds, including some right here in Ottawa, are jumping up and down saying, still think it's a mistake to sign Ryan Reeves? Well, Austin Matthews has six goals in two games. William Nylander has three goals in two games. Jan, uh, John Tavares also over a point a game through those two games. And the Leafs are, are 2-0. and And frankly, kind of playing like shit to get to 2-0. They, they have not been impressive. And that's the kind of commentary we get is, did you still think it was a mistake to sign Ryan Reeves? You're crediting Ryan Reeves with Matthews going all world for two games for William Nylander looking like he's out to secure the bag on this next new contract. This is the start that the Leafs got off to playing fairly poorly in their own end, but still lighting up the scoreboard. And we want to talk about Ryan Reeves. And I just, I just don't have the energy. After two games, Ryan Reeves was outscored two to nothing. And the chances against, like, there is no statistic that suggests he's doing anything particularly well, other than what, like, we brought him in because everyone was going to be scared of him, right? So he'd be able to protect our stars. A 22-year-old Arbor Jack guy was like, fuck you, grabbed him and threw him into the net like it was nothing. That guy was not afraid of Ryan Reeves. Ryan Reeves decides to have a boxing match in the second game against his buddy Marcus Felino. Who gave a shit about that? Did that really fire anybody up? Just stop. His line is getting buried. Like I said, outscored 2-0 in those first two games. He had played 18 minutes over those first two games. The Leafs have been outscored 2-0, and if you expand those minutes out on expected goals over 60 minutes, the Leafs would have lost that game 3-0. to 0. 0.3 to 2.8 were the expected goals. So Ryan Reeves is playing terribly, as is his fourth line, and we can carry that into the Monday night game against Chicago, where... Uh, he comes out and there's, there's some hits and, and Noah Gregor is the guy who ends up fighting, not Ryan Reeves. And in the third period, you barely see that line because it's unusable. You're trailing and it's never going to score. Ryan Reeves is never going to score a goal for you. So you can't put him out there and they can't defend, which is David Comp's like most important factor. Is it like good on faceoffs, good penalty killer, good in his own zone? But his chief line mate stinks, so we just can't use the line. I just don't have any time for this. Well, it feels different. Does it? Because this was about the most Leafs loss you've ever seen on Monday night. Far worse team coming in. Flat crowd. Monday night. Nobody really cares. And you just don't even get up for it. And I don't know. I guess Ryan Reeves was supposed to go out there and make some huge hit or fight somebody. Didn't do either one. Just sat on the bench while the team went down in the same way they've always gone down. I'm tired of hearing about Ryan Reeves. Uh, Monday night was that Chicago game. I'll be honest with you. Somewhat pessimistically, right, as the, the, the typical Leaf fan, I expected a loss in this one. But I sort of expected it to be two goals, two assists for Connor Bedard, right? The new kid, the phenom, like they all come in and do this. Pittsburgh, back in the day, Crosby would come in and do his thing. Ovechkin's always loved lighting up the Leafs, especially when he was younger. Um, it's just the way it goes. McDavid, certainly, when he comes home, he always has a bunch of friends and family in the building. And 
I sort of expected some of that from Bedard. You're on the big stage, similar to what he was on Saturday. Didn't really get much done there either in Montreal and didn't get anything done here. And yet you go ahead and you you don't get up at all for this game. They lost to this version of the Chicago Blackhawks with Corey Perry getting it done, Tyler Johnson, Nick Felipe. Like, what the fuck? Just same old Leafs, right? Max Domi and Tyler Bertuzzi, these guys were going to bring the edge a little bit. Max Domi's been invisible for three games. I, <laughs> so, just sort of same old, same old, right? If this was going to turn over uh, a new Leaf, so to speak, uh, for this team, we haven't seen it yet. They've been bad. They've really not been good. If it hasn't been for the heroics of Matthews and Nylander through those first two games, and when they didn't have a miraculous effort tonight, it wasn't good. They barely squeak one out against the Habs, who are going to be just tragically bad. Just really bad this year. You barely scrape by them. Minnesota, they're fine. Mediocre, they'll squeak into the playoffs probably, but there's nothing special about that team. And, you know, you put that one away late. But they hung with you for a long time. The Leafs didn't look special at all there. And on Monday night, they come out and offer up nothing against Seth Jones. And like I said, Tyler Johnson, Nick Felino, Corey Perry. Who cares? You let Corey Perry take his rat face out of the trash long enough to score a goal on you. Same old Leafs. Same old Leafs. But hey. While Austin Matthews is doing something that's only been done once in the last hundred years, let's talk about Ryan Reeves. We've really got this together. Let's wrap it up here. Uh, Don't forget, on Wednesday morning, we'll have Michaela Schreider on the podcast. Like She'll be in studio Tuesday evening, so we'll drop that for you on Wednesday morning. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of things to catch up with her about. On uh, Thursday, Steve Bunda will be here, possibly with Graham Creech. We'll see if Creature can make it in. They keep him pretty busy, eh? There's a lot going on. Uh, and I think, I think you're going to be hearing from Lee Sage this week on the podcast as well. So lots of great stuff coming up. Hope you'll stick around for all of it. We apologize once again for not having that Monday morning show for you. Things happen, right? It's just the way it goes. Uh, but we appreciate you sticking with us. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Tall Can Audio. My name is Matt Robinson. Thanks for listening. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal's. Call the weekend guy, I don't care.